What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT. Happy New Year's, man. Hope you guys have a wonderful year. I know I plan on having a great year. We got a lot of new great content planned for you guys on the podcast over the course of this year. If you haven't already, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. If you haven't already, remember that every episode of the podcast that's uploaded on the channel is available on ideal format on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. The JT Sports Podcast is available. And tonight, we got a very great episode for you guys, man. I got my reactions to the wacky and wild NFL Week 17. The Philadelphia Eagles have officially hit rock bottom. I thought they couldn't get any lower when they allowed Drew Locke to engineer a 10-play, 92-yard game-winning touchdown drive. But you know what they did today? They lost to the Arizona Cardinals, man. Oh. Oh my goodness, the Steelers got another win against the Seattle Seahawks. Mike Tomlin once again has another winning season. The Carolina Panthers owner, David Temper, you know they say money is power. Well, money allows you to get away with a lot of things and he threw ward on a Jags fan. And I wonder if he's going to get away with it. I got reactions to the viral video. We also got Packers, Vikings reaction, Ravens clobbering the Vikings. We got a lot of things to discuss on tonight's late episode. Without further ado, I'm going to take one more sip of water and we're going to get into it, man. All right, man. So here we go. First of all, we got to talk about this, right? The Green Bay Packers absolutely slaughtered the Minnesota Vikings tonight on Sunday Night Football. This was, once again, another Jordan Love masterclass performance. This dude went off tonight. He had four total touchdowns. He had three in the first half. This dude was throwing no-foot touchdowns. Like, I've never seen a quarterback throw a touchdown off of his two feet. He was making great throw after great throw. This dude was dissecting Brian Flores' defense. And this is way better than what he did the first time these two teams played. And at this point, I'm starting to feel like Jordan Love is going to be the next great Green Bay Packers quarterback, man. For him to have these kinds of performances late in the season is what you expect out of your franchise quarterback. The Green Bay Packers are trying to make a playoff run. They're trying to get into the playoffs, and they're in a situation where they can't afford to lose any game. And right now, Jordan Love is playing his best football of the season. And it's been really fascinating watching the Jordan Love experience this year for the Packers. Because at the start of the year, the first two games the Packers played, he looked really well. Then he hit a little bit of a cold stretch. And then around Thanksgiving to now, he started to play at a really high level. Did you know that he has 30 total touchdowns, three on the ground, 27 through the air, 11 interceptions, and he is completing 62.5% of his passes? The NFL needs to give out a most improved player award because if we were having rankings for that award, Jordan Love would definitely be the front runner for it. The past couple of years in Green Bay, we didn't know what this dude was. We didn't know if he was good, if he was a bust. In the offseason, there were people who were really skeptical about him. At training camp, he was really 
inconsistent. And then we finally get to this year. And now that we have a whole year of seeing the Jordan Love experience, I'm going to give him my vote of confidence and stamp him as the franchise QB of Green Bay moving forward for the foreseeable future. It's crazy how this franchise just seems to have the formula for developing and grooming franchise QBs. They went from Brad Favre to Rodgers. Now they go from Rodgers to Jordan Love. I was listening to Chris Collinsworth during this game talk about how Matt LaFleur, the Packers head coach, he had to modify the offense around Jordan Love. It wasn't more so Jordan Love struggling. It was Matt LaFleur having to figure out, you know, how can he best put Jordan Love in situations to thrive? What does Jordan Love do best? And what Jordan Love does at a really high level is throw a really accurate deep ball. Anytime he takes a shot downfield, it's damn near money every single time. He's throwing dots to Romeo Dobbs, which he had a dot that he dropped. But then you also got Jordan Reed. You have this other unknown wide receiver who I didn't know anything about going off tonight, Bo Milton. He had six receptions for 105 receiving yards in the touchdown. Jordan Love. With the young group of wide receivers that the Packers have around them, there's no telling just what the ceiling is for this dude. For all we know, he could be a top three, top five quarterback next year. Right now, I would take Jordan Love over Trevor Lawrence and Jalen Hurts. That may sound crazy to say, but Jalen Hurts right now, he's been really disappointing based on what we saw from him last year. Jordan Love has a way better body of work than what Jalen Hurts has put on display this season. I know you guys are going to get pissed off about that, but go watch the tape. If you were to give Jordan Love the talent that Jalen Hurts has on the Philadelphia Eagles, A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith with the top-ranked offensive line, Jordan Love would be dominating right now. The Packers, with them having a young team and a young quarterback, there's always going to be some growing pains and some inconsistencies when you have an overall young offense. But as we have progressed throughout this year, the Packers have gotten better and better because these young players have gotten more comfortable with Jordan Love at the helm at QB. Matt LaFleur has started to figure out more ways to get everybody involved and figuring out what everybody's strengths is and putting them in situations to thrive. And tonight, what was a bigger surprise is that Joe Barry's defense actually played good in this game. The previous week, they got carved up by Bryce Young, and we saw what Bryce Young and the Panthers just did. They got their ass beat by the Jacksonville Jaguars. They had a big donut hole on the scoreboard in that game. And I'm a little bit upset that I picked against the Packers to win this game when all week long, I had the Packers as a lock to win it, and then five minutes before a kickoff, my dumb behind goes ahead and chooses Minnesota. My reasoning for picking Minnesota was that, you know, maybe Jordan Law will struggle again. Brian Flores and that defense will be able to get the win for the Vikings. And Jerry Hall, I watched this dude a lot when he was playing for BYU. He didn't look too bad the first game that he started in for Minnesota a while ago, but he got knocked out of that game with the injury. 
I thought that he would have a good performance against a defense that got carved up by Bryce Young, but I was wrong about that. This defense, they were forcing takeaways. They weren't really giving any of the quarterbacks that the Vikings threw out there because after they got tired of Jaron Hall, they put him on the bench, and then they brought back Nick Mullins, but that didn't really do anything neither. They only got a touchdown out of it. Joe Barry... This dude is the worst defensive coordinator in the NFL. He definitely is going to get fired after this season. But the defense got the job done tonight, and that's what they needed. Overall, the Packers are a really intriguing team. I don't think that if they make the playoffs, they're going to be an easy win for anybody. I wouldn't be surprised if they even end up pulling off a playoff upset. Imagine if Green Bay has to play the Philadelphia Eagles. With the way their defense has looked the last three weeks under Matt Patricia, I would take Philly to lose to Green Bay. Honestly, I don't care if they're playing at home or if they would have had to go on the road and beat them at Lambeau Field. The Packers look like a better football team right now than Philadelphia because they actually understand who they are as a team. When you're going into the final week of the regular season, you shouldn't be still trying to figure things out. You got to already know what you are. And Philadelphia doesn't know who they are. Green Bay does, though. And I can't forget about Aaron Jones. Ever since he's come back from that injury, this dude has looked like lightning in a bottle. I used to go back and forth with one of my friends who was a Packers fan, and he says that Aaron Jones isn't really that great of a back. When Aaron Jones is at full strength, he's a top 10 running back. He's really good after contact, has great vision, great contact balance. He's everything that you want in a running back. Plus, he has great hands catching out of the backfield. He had 120 rushing yards tonight, and he was averaging six yards per carry. This was a great performance on all sides of the football for the Green Bay Packers, and they crushed the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings' playoff chances are all but over, if they even have any playoff chances. The Baltimore Ravens beat the hell out of the Miami Dolphins, 56-19. to Baltimore, with this win, they get the one seed in the AFC, and they clinch the AFC North Division. This game was... What I expected it to be. The Ravens played their best football at home. The last time they blew out the opponent at home, it was the Seattle Seahawks. And before that, it was the Detroit Lions. You don't want to play Baltimore and Baltimore. All right. With them getting the one seed, I'm pretty confident that they're going to be a lock to win the AFC and to represent this conference in the Super Bowl. Who else in the AFC has a great chance of beating Baltimore? Name me a team. Buffalo? Okay, maybe. Outside of them, it's nobody else. The Dolphins are the second seed, and they got whooped today. They had a little bit of success on their first couple of drives, but before we hit two minutes of this game, going into halftime, this is when the Ravens really put the hammer down on the Dolphins. You had Tua who threw an interception before the two-minute warning, which led to eventually two Baltimore touchdowns. You had Lamar Jackson hitting Isaiah Likely for a score on fourth and seven. Lamar Jackson, if he hasn't already, he did it today, submit himself as the MVP of this season. This is going to be his second MVP award. He's looked like the best quarterback in the National Football League. Todd Munkin has turned Lamar Jackson into the most lethal quarterback in the National Football League. And I truthfully don't believe that this Ravens offense is playing at the level that they're capable of. Because when you think about it, with 
how accurate of a passer Lamar Jackson has become, how dynamic he is as a runner, the Ravens really shouldn't be getting stopped on offense too many times. They should be scoring on at least 80% of their offensive possessions because how can you really stop Lamar Jackson? When Lamar Jackson and his offense are functioning at peak capacity, it's like playing against the Ravens on Madden. You ever went against Lamar and Madden and everybody just runs around with them and they're getting first downs and you just can't stop it because how can you stop a guy who can kill you by extending plays and if nobody's open, he can tuck it and run. He's a threat to take it to the house every time he runs with the football. And then if you take away his running ability, he's just going to shred your ass up throwing that thing. Lamar Jackson has truly become... An uh, unstoppable force in the NFL under Todd Munkin. Todd Munkin doesn't get talked about a lot because the casual NFL fan doesn't pay attention to who the coordinators are unless they suck. But Todd Munkin was the best offseason hire when it comes to coaching staff changes all offseason that any team made. The Ravens, they nailed their hiring of Todd Munkin as their offensive coordinator, and it's paid dividends for them this season. This offense has looked better than they ever had. I've never remembered the time the Ravens had an offense this explosive when they can beat you, not just running the football, which most people believe to be their bread and butter, but with the wide receivers they have, OBJ, Zay Flowers, who went off today, he had uh, over 100 receiving yards, three receptions, and he also had a 75-yard touchdown bomb. You got Rashad Bateman. You got Isaiah Likely at tight end who when Mark Andrews went down. People was like, man, the Ravens offense is going to take a big step back without Andrews. Isaiah Likely, who they drafted a few years ago out of Coastal Carolina, He's been a really good replacement for Mark Andrews. And Mark Andrews may be able to come back at some point throughout the playoffs, depending on how his injury recovery goes. Isaiah Likely, he isn't better than Mark Andrews, but there are certain areas of his game that are better than Mark Andrews. He's better after the catch. He's explosive. He can make guys miff. He's a little shifty. Most tight ends don't have a lot of nimbleness that Isaiah Likely has. You could give him a screen pass and he's a threat to take it to the house. This dude has really great athleticism. I was really high on him when he was coming out of Coastal Carolina. When the Ravens got their hands on him, I was like, here they go again. And as a Steelers fan, it's really annoying that the Ravens just seem to dominate in the draft. Every draft pick that the Ravens make in the first couple of rounds, they normally end up hitting. Even, even if they don't end up being like elite players at their position, most of the time they end up being like B minus, B plus players. That's what the Ravens have on their roster. They don't have any players on this team that are worse than B minus. They got a great secondary, a great front seven. They got a nasty pass rush. They got your Davion Clowney having a career year. You know something that the Ravens do better than any other team in the NFL? They're the only franchise that I know that can get these old players that people consider to be washed up and squeeze a little bit of juice left out of their career. You remember when they had Justin Houston? He was like 100 years old, and he was still one of the more productive pass rushers. And I thought they would have brought him back for another go-around. The Ravens, they're just one of these teams that they have no weakness. The only weakness the Ravens have, truthfully, are themselves. If you can't get the Ravens to beat themselves or the Ravens just don't play their best game, 
That's the only way you really have a chance of beating this squad. Maybe Buffalo can give the Ravens a better test for their money because they got Josh Allen. Tua Tagovailoa is a solid QB, but he's no Lamar Jackson. And it was evident in this game. Anytime the Dolphins needed him to step up and make a big throw, he couldn't deliver. The Dolphins defense couldn't deliver neither. Vic Vangio is the highest paid defensive coordinator in the National Football League. And they got destroyed and obliterated by Lamar and company. The Ravens, if you didn't know already, you know now, they're the best team in the NFL. And I'm picking them to win it all. I picked them to win it all before the season started. I said that the AFC was either going to come down to Lamar Jackson or Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's out. Lamar's healthy. So guess who's going to win it by default? Lamarverless, man. Like, I'm so happy to finally see Lamar Jackson thriving and getting the recognition that he deserves because this dude has been the most hated quarterback in the NFL since he got drafted for no reason at all. People just hate Lamar because he's Lamar. And it makes no sense to me. This dude is everything that you want in a quarterback in today's age of the NFL. You want somebody who can extend plays. You want somebody who can be an accurate passer downfield. There's nothing that Lamar Jackson can't do. He can throw the ball from different arm angles. We talk about some of the throws that Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes make off platform. We don't give enough credit to how good Lamar Jackson is in that area of his game. This was just an all-around obliteration. The Dolphins, they were a three-and-a-half-point underdog, I believe. I told a lot of my homies that the lock of the week was Baltimore minus three-and-a-half. There just was no way the Dolphins were going to be able to keep this thing close. And what gave me so much confidence about this game being a blowout wasn't just the fact that the Ravens are better than the Dolphins, but also the week prior when they clobbered San Francisco, Kyle Shanahan, who is the head coach who Mike McDonald, or not Mike McDonald, excuse me, but Mike McDaniels worked under before he got that Dolphins head coaching job. They kind of run a similar system. There are a little bit of intricacies in their offenses that are different. Mike McDaniel, he likes to throw the ball way more than what Kyle Shanahan does. But there are a lot of similarities in Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan's offenses. And what Mike McDaniel already having to have Kyle Shanahan go up against Mike McDonald's defense. Mike McDonald already had somewhat of a game plan for how he was going to attack Miami and their offense defensively. If you already seen Kyle Shanahan's offense, you pretty much know what Mike McDaniel is going to be throwing at you. So the Ravens with this 56 to 19 annihilation of the Miami Dolphins, you know, I am not surprised. I don't believe in the Miami Dolphins being anything more than maybe a one-and-done team in the playoffs. They may win a wild-card game, and they're probably going to get knocked out in the divisional round. I never saw the Dolphins as a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And before the season, I was going back and forth with hella Dolphins fans when I said they were a dark horse Super Bowl contender, which means that you may be able to win the Super Bowl. But you're a couple pieces away. And they were saying, oh, you're hating on the Dolphins. You're hating on the Tua. And ever since the season has started, the Dolphins' best win came against the Dallas Cowboys, who barely managed to beat Detroit. And I don't hear any Dolphins fans talking anymore, though. Dolphins fans are pretty quiet. You can't beat good teams. And your offense never shows up when you do play a great team. Their offense only scored 20-something points against the Dallas Cowboys. 
They put 70 on the Broncos, but they can't do that against a good team. I wonder if they're even going to be able to beat the Buffalo Bills next week. Y'all think they're going to be able to beat Buffalo? Because I don't think so. Like the Ravens, not only did they send a statement to the NFL today that they're the team to beat, there are still people who think that the 49ers are the best team in the league, which makes no sense to me because the Ravens kicked their ass on Christmas. What do the Ravens have to do for everybody to hop on the train? Like, if you are one of those people that like to bet money on Super Bowl futures bets, I'm taking Baltimore. I'm not a financial advisor. What you do with your money is what you do with your money. But if I got to bet some money on who's going to win it all this year, I'm taking Baltimore. This has been the most dominant team in the NFL from week one to going into week 18 now. Most teams this year, they've had cold stretches. The Ravens haven't really had a cold stretch. The only time they looked cold was when they had that weird loss to the Cleveland Browns when Lamar Jackson, that offense, kind of self-imploded on themselves. And that goes back to my earlier point. If you want to beat the Ravens, you have to get them beating themselves or you have to get them in a game where they're not playing their A game. Hell, even them playing their B game is good enough to beat the majority of the teams out there. I feel bad for any team in the playoffs that has to play the Baltimore Ravens that has Super Bowl aspirations because they're going to get destroyed. This is Lamar Jackson's year to finally win a Super Bowl. And I'm really interested in seeing what a Super Bowl win would do for Lamar Jackson's legacy. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about what a Super Bowl win would mean for Lamar Jackson and how his career trajectory is going to look if he was to win one later on in the week. But the Ravens just had a complete annihilation of the Miami Dolphins. They clobbered these boys 56 to 19. Give me your thoughts on this game. Were you shocked that the Ravens dominated the Dolphins the way they did? I'm interested in hearing your thoughts down in the comment section down below. Leave a like, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, man. Remember that every episode of the podcast is available in audio format on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon. Go ahead, get your smartphone, cell phone, laptop. However you listen to your podcast, type in the JT Sports Podcast and give us a five-star review, man. We will greatly appreciate it. It's a free way to support the channel and also if you miss a little bit of the live stream you know you don't want to listen to it on youtube you just want to drive in the car and listen to it or you want to play madden just listen to the audio version of the pod the jt sports podcast is where you can find every episode of every live stream available go ahead and check it out on all podcasting platforms all right man so we got to talk about something really really bad right now we got some dead birds in philadelphia people the Eagles have officially hit rock bottom. And I didn't think they could go any lower than what they did when they allowed Drew Locke to engineer a 10-play, 92-yard game-winning touchdown drive, which led to the win. I thought that was it for Philly. I thought they couldn't go any lower than that moment. But just when you thought things couldn't get worse, they got worser. They lost to the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals, they beat the Dallas Cowboys earlier in the season. We seem to forgot about that, but they seem to play their best football when they're going up against any team in the NFC East. Kyler Murray made Matt Patricia's defense look abysmal. People were talking about how Sean Desai was a bad defensive coordinator. Well, Matt Patricia isn't even better. This defense allowed over 200 yards on the ground to the Arizona Cardinals. James Conner 
was a one-man wrecking crew on the ground, and Kyler Murray just could not be stopped. He was breaking out of sacks. He was running around. You know how Kyler Murray likes to play football. He plays a lot of backyard street ball. Man, this dude is just like a 5'9", 5'10", midget just running around, throwing the football downfield. He couldn't be stopped. The only time Arizona's offense didn't score is when they were taking it in the halftime and Kyler threw that 99-yard pick six to Sidney Brown. That was about it. Arizona's offense was dominant from their opening drive to their final drive. Did you know that they scored touchdowns on every single possession that they got in the second half? Philly's defense is just, it's an embarrassment. This was one of the best defenses in the NFL last year, they had a great pass rush. They had an all-time great pass rush. Where is it at this year? This pass rush was supposed to be even better than what it was last year with you bringing in Jalen Carter. Haven't heard his name as of late. What about the secondary? The decisions to extend James Bradbury and Darius Slay were two of the worst decisions that Harry Roseman made during the course of this past offseason. Because both of those guys, they look cooked. James Bradbury, he's not even a starter anymore. After this season, he has to go. Darius Slay, you probably got to get rid of him too. You just need to start over. You just have to. Keely Ringo looks better than both James Bradbury and Darius Slay. And he hasn't really been nothing to write home about neither. This defense is out of sorts. This whole team is out of sorts, people. Like, the Eagles, they nearly lost to the Giants last week. I thought that they were rebound against Arizona. They were like 11-point favorite at one point during the week going into this matchup. And I took Arizona plus 11. I was like, with the way Philly has looked, I can't trust them to beat anybody. And at this point, you lose to Arizona. Are you going to be able to beat the New York Giants next week? Because with this loss, you took yourself out of position to get the one seed in the NFC. It now belongs to the 49ers. And you really needed that more than any other team because you're banged up. Jalen Hurts isn't fully healthy. And you needed a chance to sit back and regroup and regather yourself and figure out who you were as a football team. And getting that first round by would have allowed you a little bit more time to figure some things out. But now you got to go into wild card weekend and you better hope that you don't have to play a team like the Rams or even the Packers because there's a good chance you could lose to any one of those teams, especially the Rams. They might put up 70 points on, the, on that defense with the way that it looks under Matt Patricia. And who thought that it was a good idea to even make Matt Patricia the defensive coordinator anyway? The last time this dude was calling plays was when he was the head coach of the Detroit Lions. And a lot of Lions fans will tell you that his defenses were absolutely laughable. They were laughably bad. I remember a couple of years ago, the Lions played the Houston Texans on Thanksgiving when they had prime Deshaun Watson, by the way. And the Detroit Lions defense was so bad in that game that the Texans were running trick plays against Matt Patricia's D. In that game, I promise to God, go back and look up Texans versus Detroit Lions Thanksgiving highlights. They were running trick plays against Matt Patricia's defense, man. This defense is god-awful. This has went from elite defense to a bottom three defense. And I can't name too many other teams that defenses are as bad as what Phillies is. Especially when you look at the amount of talent that they have. You wouldn't think that this defense would be performing at this low of a level. But this is what happens when you whiff on your coordinator hires. When they lost 
their offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, and defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, the head coaching jobs. There was a lot of concern about how the play calling was going to be on both of those ends. But you had trust in Nick Sirianni that he would have been able to make the right decisions because he is a pretty good coach. But the problem with Nick Sirianni that's hurting Philly is that what does he really do? What does he really specialize in? He doesn't really look like he knows too much about defense. Offensively, we don't really know how much he knows about that end of the ball neither. And when he was calling plays on his first year in Philadelphia, he had to give that thing up to Shane Steichen. Philadelphia, you got you got some dead birds in your city right now. Y'all need to go outside and clip those birds up quickly, man, because they starting to stink up the city right now. Like the Eagles stink right now. Jalen Hurts, he had a good game, but it wasn't a great game. And he got outplayed by Kyler Murray. Jalen Hurts hasn't looked like a top five quarterback this year. I saw Michael Vick release his top five quarterback rankings, and he had Jalen Hurts in that thing. Bro, I would take Jordan Love and Baker Mayfield over Jalen Hurts this season. And I'm not a Jalen Hurts hater. I love Jalen Hurts. But we got to be honest about him. Ever since he got that contract, the level of play that we've seen out of him this year has been <laughs> awful, bro. There are like, 13, 14 quarterbacks that you could name over Jalen Hurts right now that are better. When you're paying a guy this much money, he has to be able to elevate you when your defense is struggling. He has to be able to overcome certain limitations. And is Jalen Hurts a quarterback that's good enough to lead you to a championship with you not being that full strength, not having a great defense, maybe having a couple of injuries that you have to deal with? I don't think so. Jalen Hurts looks like a good bus driver quarterback, but when he has to be somebody to be the leader of the pack, I think he comes up short way too many times too often based on what we've seen out of him this season. And there were, you know, some people in the offseason that were coming at me saying that you're giving the Eagles way too much props, like Jalen Hurts is going to be a one-hit wonder. And I was saying, man, I don't know about Jalen Hurts being a one-hit wonder. This dude is such a great leader. He's a hard worker. It's hard to see me seeing the fall-off all out of Jalen Hurts. But we've seen it this year, and that fall-off has been... It's came out of nowhere, just to be honest with you. And you look at the stats, statistically, Jalen Hurts is one of the best QBs in the game. But the same issue that Jalen Hurts has when it comes to statistics, it's the same issue that people have when it comes to assessing just how good Russell Wilson is. Now, Jalen Hurts is way better than Russell Wilson. I ain't finna do him like that. You feel me? I know I watch a pretty good amount of Eagles games to know that Jalen Hurts is not even in the same tier as Russell Wilson. It's not even close. But when it comes to ranking him with some of the best quarterbacks in the game, he doesn't belong in that discussion. And one area of Philadelphia's offense that was really good earlier this season that has kind of fell now has been the rushing attack. What the hell has happened to DeAndre Swift, bro? I had him on my fantasy team for all this season. In the last couple of weeks, he hasn't, do, he hasn't done anything. And I'm in the fantasy championships and I lost today because DeAndre Swift couldn't do anything. And it's not his fault because the dude is averaging over four yards per carry. It's just the fact that the Eagles don't want to give this dude the damn football. The passing game isn't working. Jalen Hurts had three touchdowns and one interceptions, but you can't run this offense through Jalen. This offense should be ran through DeAndre Swift. Not only is he a great running back, but he also is a pretty good pass catcher. 
This offense going into the postseason, what they need to work on is making DeAndre Swift the focal point of this unit. That's the only way they're going to have a chance at being able to go far in the playoffs because you're going to need to run the ball and control time of possession to make sure that your defense doesn't have to take too many snaps on the field. Asking Phillies defense to get a stop is like asking you to go into the corner store and find a winning scratch-off ticket for a million dollars. It's damn near impossible, especially when you got Matt Patricia calling the plays. I mean, you, you thought that the Philadelphia Eagles... With Nick Sariani being the kind of coach that he is, they would have been more prepared than what they look like in this game. I mean, come on. You lost to the Arizona Cardinals, man, and you went in the halftime for lead. That's the crazy thing about it. Arizona outscored Philadelphia in the second half 29-10. to 10. That's embarrassing, bruh. They couldn't stop anything that Arizona did, and they're a way more superior team talent-wise than what the Cardinals are. It's getting really ugly down there in Philadelphia. And I said it a couple of weeks. People thought I was being insane. They were coming at me. Y'all didn't see it because I ain't posted on YouTube, but follow me on Instagram, JT Sports underscore, and on TikTok, JT Sports underscore underscore, so you can see my reels. I made a reel saying how the Philadelphia Eagles probably aren't going to win a playoff game, and how Baker Mayfield was better than Jalen Hurts, and people were saying, oh, you don't know shit about football. You hating on Jalen Hurts. You hating on the Eagles. The Eagles are okay. Do the Eagles look okay to you? Like, the Eagles right now look like they need CPR. They need somebody to go ahead and give them some mouth-to-mouth reciprocation to bring them back to life because the Eagles that we see right now they have a dead heartbeat right now they don't even have a pulse like you need to get some of the little electric shock things that people use and they say clear to wake you up like somebody needs to get those things and put it on everybody on the Philadelphia Eagles and give them a little bit of a boost to wake back up because Philadelphia right now they're trending downwards and this is the wrong time of the season to be trying to figure out who you are. Like, anytime you listen to any player interview, they're always saying, oh, we got to play better. Oh, we got to improve. We got to figure out who we are. You shouldn't be trying to figure out who you are going into the final week of the regular season. At this point, if you're still trying to figure out who you are, that's just who you are. A team that has no identity. The Eagles lack identity. The only thing that you can somewhat depend on is that pass rush on defense. That's about it. If their pass rush can't get home, they're not going to get any stops. And it's really disappointing to see a defense that has so much talent performing at this low of a level. And the same thing with the offense. Like, they scored 31 points. Cool. But Arizona's offense scored on damn near every single possession outside of when they threw that interception. That was it. Arizona's offense outplayed Philadelphia. Philly couldn't get any stop on Arizona's offense. Kyler Murray was the better quarterback than Jalen Hurts in this game. James Conner and Kyler Murray, they were like Shaq and Kobe in this matchup. If Kyler Murray wasn't doing damage, it was James Conner. 128 yards on the ground, like James Conner was looking like a damn bully in this game against the Eagles defense. He caught a one-hand touchdown. I was like, James Conner? You telling your inner OBJ, okay, James Conner, I see you. I see you. And didn't they sign Shaq Leonard? Like, where the hell is he at? He was one of the best linebackers in the NFL at one point. He was a former All-Pro. Like, they signed this dude a couple of weeks ago, and I haven't heard him make a single play. 
It's looking really bad down there in Philadelphia. We got some dead birds, people. We got some dead birds. The Detroit Lions had a really weird loss to the Dallas Cowboys. So at one point, Jerry Goff, he leads the Lions downfield on a touchdown drive, which eventually looked like it was going to tie the game and send it to overtime. But instead, Dan Campbell, being aggressive Dan, Goes ahead and he rolls the dice and he says, F it. We ain't playing for the overtime. We're playing for the win. And I respect that. You know, I can expect a coach that's aggressive and takes calculated risk. You know, in life, you got to take chances to be able to get to the level that you want to be at. And you can't get there unless you roll the dice a couple of times. And you see, I don't have a problem with head coaches being aggressive my problem is just don't be aggressive every single time. You got to have a good understanding of the way the game is going and the momentum. I listened to Urban Meyer a while back say this on Fox Noon Kickoff. He said that you just can't go for it just to go for it because you feel like it. You have to understand, you know, the magnitude of the situation in that moment of the game. And Dan Campbell, he went for it three straight times. And didn't have any success. Now, the first time, they got screwed over by the refs in the black and white attire. Hell, with the way the refs were calling that play, you would have thought that, you know, Jerry Jones made a couple of phone calls. And he put that fix in. Because you knew damn well, there was no way the NFL was going to allow the Cowboys to lose our Jimmy Johnson night. Come on, man. And you got Cowboys fans saying, man, the refs missed the call on us. Man, fuck that. Who cares about that call? All I care about is the fact that the Lions got screwed. I don't like the Dallas Cowboys like that anyway. I want to try to lose. So I could care less if the refs ain't call anything on y'all, man. I care about the refs screwing away the Detroit Lions. Because this was an awful penalty that they threw. Obviously, the left tackle went up and announced that he was eligible. But I guess, you know, they may be a little bit deaf. And they didn't hear it. And, you know, the left tackle catches a touchdown, Taylor Decker. And all of a sudden, it gets called back. Like, when I was watching this game, right, Jared Goff had just threw that interception that led to a Dallas field goal. And I took the Detroit Lions plus five and a half in this game. And I also picked them to win in my pick'em league. And I was looking at my homeboy, and I asked him, I was like, hey, bro, like, you think Jared Goff going to be able to come through, bro? Because, I mean, he just threw this interception. He hasn't looked that great tonight. Like, is he going to be able to get it done? And I even went to the Bleach Report app and went to the Detroit Lions community. And I asked them, y'all think Jared Goff going to be able to get this thing over time? And they was like, we don't know. I guess we'll see. Well, he leads them all the way down the field. They score the touchdown. So that's one objective that gets complete. All they got to do now is kick the field goal and send it to overtime. But no, 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 no. Dan Campbell has to go out and... Go for the win. And I was like, oh my goodness, they're going for it. And he already got the fake punt early. I'm one of those super, super, I'm one of those superstitious people. I believe if you get lucky doing something risky the first time, you shouldn't try your luck again. And Dan Campbell, he doesn't believe in superstitions, I guess, because he got the fake punt and he was still making aggressive decisions in the game. And him going for two was a big balls decision. And I was like, okay, Dan Campbell, let's see what you're going to do. You got Ben Johnson, so let's see what he's going to cook up. Well, you cook up that pass to the left tackle, Taylor Decker, and it gets caught. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, 
They just won the game. They just won the game. I was going crazy. I was hyped as hell. And then all of a sudden, I see that dirty laundry being thrown on the field, that, that golden flag on the field. And I was like, oh, my God, I hope it's on Dallas. Please be on Dallas. Of course it wasn't on Dallas because it's Jimmy Johnson night. So you know it wasn't going to be on Dallas. You got the penalty, illegal touching, offense. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm thinking they're just going to say bump it. They're finna kick the field goal. But you know what Dan Campbell does? He goes for it again. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness, Dan Campbell. No, no, no. Kick the field goal. And instead, they go for it. They don't get it. It's an incomplete pass to Amara and Say Brown. But then they get bailed out. And they get a third opportunity. You know what they say? Third time's the charm, right? Offsides penalty on Michael Parsons. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. They're going to kick the field goal. No, no, no. They're going for the third straight time. And as soon as I saw them line up to go for it again, I knew they lost the game. And they didn't get it. And I feel Dan Campbell going for it those other two times were emotional decisions. You know, he was pissed off at the refs. Like, bro, Dan Campbell's face was scorching red like his red his face was redder than a red light and then you also had number 70 i mean he was steaming i don't know why he was so upset like i don't know if a penalty got called on him or not but he was just as pissed off as dan campbell hell number 70 for the lions he may have been more madder than what dan campbell was and i asked you guys after the game did dan campbell make the right decision Opting to go for the win instead of kicking the extra point to send the game in overtime. And the majority of you guys were pretty split on it. You guys don't have an issue with Dan Campbell's aggressiveness. And I can get that. You know, you're going for the win. There's nothing wrong with that. You already done locked up the division. You're already in the playoffs. You're trying to get the one seed. You got to roll the dice. I get that. You don't have anything to lose at this point. But... When you don't get it the first time, I felt you should have just went for the field goal or the extra point to send it to overtime. Because at that point, you having that, you know, emotional letdown already kind of took you out of a good mind frame to be able to execute at a high level. And for Dan Campbell, he made two emotional decisions continuing to go for it on for the two point conversion. And I really didn't like that call. I really didn't like the illegal touching when the referees were already notified by the left tackle that he called himself eligible. And there's even replays on Twitter. Even Troy Aikman was saying how like he he called himself eligible. You feel me? So if Troy if Troy Aikman is calling the referees out on their bullshit, you know you know it's a bad call. And it's so bad that the NFL ended up downgrading. The whole entire referee crew for this after this game. Like, they're not even going to be able to coach or be able to call a game in the postseason. Thank God, because this is the same referee crew that screwed over Kansas City a while back when they were playing the Packers, if I'm not mistaken. But you can always put the outcome of the game on the referee. Yes, you got cheated out of that two-point conversion, but you still should have had a better understanding of what the feeling of the game was if you're Dan Campbell. Your team just got an emotional letdown with that illegal touching call. And at that point, you should have just said, you know what? We're going to kick this extra point 
Take it all over time and we're going to sit back and regroup and regather ourselves and compose ourselves. Now, the people who say that Dan Campbell going for it three straight times on the two point conversion, he was right because he knew his defense wasn't going to be able to get a stop. Didn't your defense just get a stop on that Jerry Goff interception? And who would have known if you would have even had been on defense? Maybe you could have got, maybe you could have won the coin toss in overtime and drove downfield and got the game winning touchdown. I'd rather play for overtime than put all my chances going for it three straight times for the two point. I already didn't get it the first two times. I'm really finna try my luck again. I love Dan Campbell as a head coach. I admire his aggressiveness. I love his attitude, but to me, him going for it three straight times to win the game were emotional decisions, and his emotions got the best of him. I really feel like Dan Campbell wanted to stick it to the referee. You ever play somebody on Madden, and you throw an interception, and you like, man, fuck this dude, man. I'm finna come out next drive, and I'm about to be slinging that rock again, and you throw a couple more interceptions. You see, football is an emotional game, and you have to be able to control your emotions because as humans, we don't make the best decisions when we're in an emotional state. You want to know why? Because we're not thinking clearly. We're thinking with emotions. And as a head coach, you got to be able to be cool, calm, and collected at all times. You have to be able to keep your composure so you can make the best possible decisions. And Dan Campbell in this situation, as much as I like him as a head coach, I don't agree with the decision to continue to go for it. Three straight times with the two-point conversion. You didn't get it the first time. You got bailed out the second time. Let's just say, you know what? Let's just take this game to overtime. Now, if you're one of those people that are going to say that, you know, you agree with Dan Campbell's decision-making, I'm not going to get upset with you. I'm not even going to disagree with you because I, I do like his aggressiveness. I just feel like at that point, with you having the illegal touching penalty, it took so much out of your team that... I didn't believe you were going to be able to get it done having that much of an emotional letdown. Just that, that's just my thoughts on this. But you guys comment down below if Dan Campbell made the right decision trying to get the two-point conversion three straight times and coming up short on every single opportunity because I was really against it after they didn't get it the first time. And when they didn't get in the second time, I was like, okay, bro, like you got to kick the extra point. You just got to. I'd rather play for overtime than just, you know, have this game come down to another two-point try that I'm probably not going to get. But I guess Dan Campbell believes in the old, the old saying, third time's a charm. But it definitely wasn't a charm tonight. Uh-uh. You know, you know those refs weren't going to allow the Dallas Cowboys to lose on Jimmy Johnson night. Just go ahead and play for overtime. But that's just my thoughts on Dan Campbell's. Late game decision-making against the Cowboys. I really was pulling for Detroit to win, and they damn near got it done. But the referees just didn't want it to happen. And Dan Campbell, you know, he, I, I don't know, man. Like, you, I don't feel he was wrong to go for it three straight times. I just feel like the judgment wasn't coming from the best state of mind. If that makes sense. The Pittsburgh Steelers continue their late season rejuvenation. They got their second consecutive win with Mason Rudolph at QB. They went on the road to the 12th man and beat the Seahawks 30-23. to And you know what this win means? It means another winning season for Mike Tomlin. Hooray! Hooray! Let's go, Mike T. Let's go. Let's go. 
And not only is this another winning season for Mike Tomlin, but this is another game when the Steelers' offense looks good. Ever since Mason Rudolph became the starting QB for this team, this offense, I don't even recognize it no more. I remember there was a time when anytime Mr. Biscay and Kenny Pickett were at quarterback, I used to be able to go to the kitchen, get me something to eat, and three minutes later, the offense was punting because they just went three and out. But with Mason Rudolph at QB, this offense looks completely different. They're taking shots downfield. They're getting George Pickens involved. Like, thank you to the football gods for blessing the Pittsburgh Steelers with the play that we've gotten out of Mason Rudolph the last couple of weeks. And Mason Rudolph has looked so damn good that you got people wondering if he may be the franchise QB for the Steelers. Now, I'm not going to go that far. Because, listen, we've had a lot of Linsanity runs in the NFL this year. We had the Joshua Dobbs Linsanity run when he looked like a patronaut and then a couple of weeks later turned to an astronaut. You had Jake Browning who was playing pretty good and then he went up against the Steelers last week and he came back down to earth. You had Tommy DeVito and DeVito Sanity going crazy and we saw how that just ended. He just got benched. So I don't really have... A lot of faith that this Mason Rudolph story is going to continue to last. I expect this thing to kind of start to come back down to earth if the Steelers are able to make it to the playoffs. Because next week, you got to play the Ravens. The Ravens already locked up the one seed, and they already locked up the division. They have nothing to play for. They should be benching their starters. But just because the Ravens are benching their starters doesn't mean it's going to be a guaranteed win for Pittsburgh. Because if you know anything about the Steelers, and you follow this team as much as I have as a fan, you know that the Steelers always find a way to downplay the competition. And the last time the Steelers had to play the Ravens at the end of the season in a must-win game to keep their playoff hopes alive, they lost to their second string. But Mason Rudolph, if he can sustain this level of play against Mike McDonald's defense and he has a good performance in the playoffs, then maybe I will view this more as just a feel-good story and I actually will take Mason Rudolph's chances of maybe being the savior at QB for Pittsburgh a little bit more seriously. Now, I'm not saying that Mason Rudolph can't do it. I'm just saying that I'm not about to get my hopes up because I've seen how these Linsanity runs have ended, and they've ended really badly. But for Mason Rudolph, he has a great team around him from a talent standpoint. You got George Pickens balling out. It's not hard to give George Pickens a damn ball. Just throw the shit downfield. I could never understand for the life of me why Kenny Pickett and Mitchell Trubisky couldn't give George Pickens more targets. He's getting more targets with Mason Rudolph at QB than he damn near was getting all season long. He got nine targets in this game. He caught seven out of nine of them. Like, it's not hard to get George Pickens involved. I understood his frustration. It's like, look at your size. Look at your athleticism. Just because you look covered doesn't mean you're going to be covered if you're George Pickens. And then it's nice to see a quarterback who can finally hit accurate passes to wide open wide receivers. You don't know how frustrating it was to see Kenny Pickett overthrowing wide receivers who are wide open on four-yard drags and Mitchell Trubisky overthrowing wide open wide receivers in the middle of the field and just missing wide open wide receivers completely, just overlooking them. So it's refreshing to finally see some good quarterback play in Pittsburgh. But you want to know what was even more refreshing? The performance 
out of the running game. Najee Harris, this is one of the first games I've watched him play in the black and gold where he looked like he was a first-round pick. Now, that doesn't mean that I thought that he was a scrub, but if the Steelers had a chance to redo that Najee Harris pick, I'm pretty sure they would go in a different direction. But he's still a pretty good back, and he was dominating the day. I mean, he had two touchdown runs when he damn near dragged the whole entire Seattle Seahawks defense. He was like a one-man tank out there. And then you got Jalen Warren, who is more of a change of pace back, but he also is pretty tough in his own right. He blocks. He also can create a lot of yards after contact. This one-two punch that the Steelers have at the running back position has me really excited for the future of this offense. Minus the quarterback position. The Steelers already have what they need to be one of the better offenses in the NFL. It's just that you don't have that consistency at quarterback. Now, can Mason Rudolph be that guy for you? I hope so. Because I'm tired of the Steelers playing musical chairs at QB. And Mike Tomlin doesn't really know too much about the QB position. He had no choice but to go to Mason Rudolph. Kenny Pickett is injured. Mitch Trubisky is garbage. You have to go to Mason Rudolph and... This is one of those opportunities for Mason Rudolph where he has to earn himself a lot of money. Hell, if he doesn't get the chance to be the starting QB in Pittsburgh, he may have the opportunity to at least compete for a starting job next year or to at least be a backup and maybe somebody ahead of him on a different team gets injured and he has a chance to take over. But Mason Rudolph right now, he definitely is going to make it a conversation of if Kenny Pickett, when he gets healthy, should be able to play. And there were already some rumors circulating around leading up to this game that Kenny Pickett was healthy enough to play, but they went with Mason Rudolph instead. If I'm Mike Tomlin, I'm not starting Kenny Pickett out there. Like, I'm rolling with Mason Rudolph. I'm rolling with the high hand. Kenny Pickett hasn't shown you anything that should just automatically make him QB1 again. Just because you drafted him in the first round doesn't mean he should be out there starting again. He hasn't played up to the expectations that comes with being a first-round quarterback. And if I'm Mike Tomlin being a defensive-minded coach, I'm not playing politics with this. I don't know too much about that side of the football anyway. So I'm just going to grow with the QB that looks the best right now. And that is Mason Rudolph. And when Mason Rudolph ends up eventually, you know, coming back down to earth, if that happens, then you put back Kenny Pickett out there and see what he can do. But right now, you got to roll with the hot hand. It would be a stupid decision. If Kenny Pickett is healthy, you starting him over Mason Rudolph with how well he's played. Now, yes, he did go against the Seattle Seahawks defense, and they make everybody look good. They don't really have a great secondary. They got talent, but they don't play up to the level of talent that they have. They got a pretty good pass rush. Like, the Seattle Seahawks are a really weird team to me because their defense has been bad ever since the Legion of Boom broke apart. And I don't know why, because they've ne it's never been a lack of talent. It's always just been poor coaching and just poor execution. But I'm not going to use this to try to discredit the performance that Mason Rudolph had, because this dude has been balling out, and I hope that it continues to happen. But what I'm saying is that before you call me a hater, I'm not hating. I'm just saying that I've seen these stories before when you got a quarterback come off the bench who starts balling out, playing good football, and then in three, four weeks later, he goes back to reverting to his old self, playing like a bench warmer. I hope that isn't the case for Mason Rudolph. He has a really good arm. He's making really great decisions with the football, and he's winning games for the Steelers. The defense hasn't been great, and the Steelers' defense is so decimated with injuries, 
it's to the point where they're not good enough to be able to carry you like how they did the first half of this season. When you can neutralize the Steelers' pass rush, you're going to be able to do anything that you want against this defense. The secondary can't stop a fly. The linebackers aren't good against the run. The linebackers also can't cover. So unless the pass rush is able to get home, it's going to be difficult for the Steelers defensively to get stops. Even in this game, for the most part, they struggled. Geno Smith was making some big plays down downfield, but they came up big when they forced that strip sack fumble on him late in the game in the fourth quarter, which eventually, to me, was the deciding factor. And the Steelers walking away with that win because they ended up after that getting a field goal, which put them up 30 to 20. Seattle got held to a field goal on their final possession, and that was ball game. So this was a really impressive game out of Mason Rudolph. He didn't throw any touchdowns, but the fact that the Steelers' offense is now being able to move the football downfield efficiently, and they're not going three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out every single drive, is really encouraging to see as a Steelers fan. And I'm hoping that we can get into the playoffs and Mason Rudolph has a good playoff performance because if he does the Steelers have a chance to maybe pull off an upset maybe if they play against the Kansas City Chiefs they could maybe upset them who knows maybe they could upset the Miami Dolphins the Steelers are a team that is really tricky because when they go into the playoffs the talent is there offensively it's just that the quarterback play has to be there the defense with how good that pass rush is I expect them to be able to show up there are too many teams in the NFL that have elite offensive line play so Pittsburgh, this is a big win for them. They keep their playoff hopes alive. Mike Tomlin cements another winning season. And Mason Rudolph, the Mason rudolph insanity run continues. How long will it continue? Or will this just be a thing where Mason Rudolph just cements himself as the guy at QB for the next couple of years in Pittsburgh? Who knows? The Buccaneers gave away a golden opportunity, losing 23-13 to the New Orleans Saints. They were down 20-0 at one point in this game. And this was one of those classic Tampa Bay Buccaneer games when the Bucs just beat the Bucs as Todd Bowles likes to put it in his post-game press conferences. They had four turnovers in this game. And when they weren't turning the football over, this offense was going backwards, bro. They had so many three and outs and so many punts in this game. And if you watch Tampa Bay for the majority of this season, this offense has games when they just can't get anything going at all. They just look lethargic. Now, they woke up in the fourth quarter, but even when they came alive in the fourth quarter, they still gave away the game because you had a back-breaking turnover. You had a fumble by a wide receiver. I'm trying to remember his name. I, I think it was Trey Palmer, if I'm not mistaken. He made a great grab, and then he put the ball on the ground. And that fumble right there is what sealed the win for New Orleans. And this is an embarrassing loss for Tampa Bay because you lost to Dennis Allen, one of the worst head coaches in the NFL. Because of this win, the New Orleans Saints now are expected to bring him back for another season. And New Orleans fans, I'm pretty sure they're grateful for the win and they're grateful for the opportunity to still have a chance of making it to the playoffs by winning this division thanks to you. But I know they're still not happy of the aspects of Dennis Allen returning for another year because they know this dude is not a good head coach. And they know when this division gets better head coaches that they're not going to be a great football team. So not only did you do yourself a disservice, but you did Saints fans a disservice. I mean, yeah, they got the win. They can make it to the playoffs. But let's be honest, they're not going to go far in the postseason. 
And neither are the Buccaneers, if we're being honest, unless this offense can get back at playing at the level that it was when they had that, what, four or five game win streak prior to this L? Baker Mayfield, this is the worst game that he's had over the last couple of months. He was playing some damn good football, taking care of the football, didn't really have too many turnover problems. And even the offensive line, when it comes to a pass protection standpoint, They've been one of the best pass-blocking units in the National Football League this year. But in this game, the Saints' pass rush was really getting after it. And like usual, they couldn't run the damn football. And even when they did have a good run out of Rashad White, guess what he did? He turned the damn football over. The defense, they got carved up by Derek Carr. But it wasn't on a consistent basis. Like, there were... There was that first drive of the game when Derek Carr and the Saints scored on their opening possession, which he looked really effective. Then he had another drive before halftime. And then after that in the second half, the defense played pretty well. And they held them to just a field goal. When you look at what they did when the offense turned the football over, they only allowed three points off turnovers. The defense kept this game close. And it gave the offense an opportunity to win it, despite the fact that Derek Carr had a really good performance in this game. But offensively, I like Dave Canales, but this offense at times, when they're out of sorts, it looks really ugly. And there's been tons of games when Tampa Bay hasn't gotten anything going offensively into the last quarter of the game. And if you want a team, if you want to be a team that could possibly pull off an upset in the first round of playoffs, your offense just can't only show up. For the final 15 minutes, your offense has to be able to play a complete game. And that's something that Tampa Bay, when they struggled offensively, they haven't been able to do. This offense is really good when they're playing at a high level. And they got the talent where they should be dominating in every game. You got good wide receivers. You got Mike Evans, who should be an all-pro this year. Chris Godwin. Rashad White is a pro bowler, in my opinion, based on what he's meant to this offense from a all-around standpoint, what he can do in the passing game, still making something out of nothing with a bad offensive line when it comes to run blocking. But there are moments when Tampa's offense, you know, they can just look flat. They can look streaky. This is probably the most streakiest offense in the NFL. When they're on, they're on. When they're bad, they're going backwards. Like, they were going backwards against New Orleans in the first half. So, New Orleans, with this win... Not only do they have a chance of making it to the playoffs and Dennis Allen coming back for another season, but they could win this division. Tampa Bay, with the win, they could have locked up their playoff spot and won this division for a second straight year in a row. Now you got to have some things happen next week for you to win this division. When you could have just already had this thing won if you would have came up and showed up for this game. It didn't look like Tampa Bay was all that well prepared. With the way that they looked at the start of this game. On both sides of the football. Opening drive. New Orleans gets a touchdown. And then the offense can't get anything going. Like when are the Buccaneers going to be able to just look like a competent team on a consistent basis? Like that win streak was good. But are you going to be able to do this against good teams? That's my problem with Tampa Bay. Like we don't see Tampa Bay play their best football when they're going up against a sub 500 team. This is the Saints. Second win against a team with a winning record or a record that is 500 or better. Tampa Bay, I expected them to win this game. Like, they were a two-point favorite, and I thought it was going to be easy money. But it just goes to show you that when it comes to the coaching of Todd Bowles, 
You can't really trust this team on a weekly basis. Their best win, when they clobbered Jacksonville last week, Jacksonville hasn't been that great. And outside of that, they are a team that has struggled to be able to beat teams with winning records. Like, the only win that they have with the team that is, you know, in the playoff hunt right now is really the Minnesota Vikings, and they did that early in the season. And the Chicago Bears, that also came early in the season. Neither one of those teams have winning records right now. And that's the same problem that New Orleans have. In this game, you saw two bad coaches on full display. It's just that Dennis Allen, with how well the offense looked and how fast of a start they got out too early, being able to capitalize off the four turnovers of Tampa Bay was a large reason why they won this game. But if you're a good team, you turn the ball over four times, most of the times it's a blowout. And Temple Bay still had the opportunity to come away with the victory. It's just that they had that late fumble by that wide receiver out of Nebraska, Trey Palmer. And that's what put the dagger in their hopes of being able to lock up this division. So hopefully they can be able to make it to the playoffs and win this division next week when they play the Panthers. But this was a really disappointing game if you are a fan of the Buccaneers. We got a few more things that we have to talk about real quick. Make sure that you leave a like on the stream if you haven't already subscribed to the channel, man. And I got to say this real quick. I appreciate you guys for supporting me in 2023, man, because 2023 was a really hard year for me. I got something on my lip. I'm trying to get it off. Lips a chap. I can't find my chapstick. But I know you guys saw the live stream that I did when I came on and I was thinking about quitting YouTube and I was tearing up and all you guys like, man, oh, you can't go anywhere, man. You, you can't quit. You know, I appreciate all that support because that really meant a lot to me. And because of that, you know, I kept on going and I even had my friends saying, yeah, bro, like listen to your subscribers. And all you guys tell me is that, you know, you, you produce great content. You feel me? It's going to happen one day. You know, your time is coming. And it's just sometimes... It's hard to be patient when it comes to things like this because I've been doing this for going on five, six years now. I'm about to graduate college. This is my final semester in college. And it's just that, you know, I want to get this thing to a point where I can live off it. And also, I also want to have one of the biggest sports podcasts in the world. And I kind of get a little bit frustrated because I want it to happen now. I don't want to keep waiting, but... You know, you guys motivated me to keep on going, to keep pushing through when I was at a low moment with this. And I greatly appreciate that. And I don't just look at you guys as just subscribers and a paycheck. Like, I consider y'all family. Like, there's a lot of y'all that have been subscribed to the channel that have been subscribed here since, bro, I was in high school, bro. Y'all remember when I had the wigs, when at the low cut? Like, y'all don't see my hairstyle change so many times. And anytime I see... Any of my day one subscribers, like, it always makes me happy. And not just the day one subscribers, but the new subscribers. Like, I'm just happy that you guys have supported me up to this point. And I plan on uploading some of my best content that we've ever did on JT Sports this year. So I just wanted to give you guys a quick thank you for sticking through with me and motivating me. And once again, Happy New Year's to everybody that's tuned into the live stream. Now, I have two more things I want to hit on, and then we're going to pack it on up for the night. So the Denver Broncos are in a lot of trouble for their decision to bench Russell Wilson. Now, the benching was a really cutthroat decision. They benched him not because of his on-the-field play, like Sean Payton tried to say in his press conference saying that we just need a spark on offense. Let's be honest, bro. Like, Russell Wilson 
isn't bad enough where he should be holding the clipboard and the Gatorade on the sideline. He may not be that good, but he's still a serviceable quarterback. And Jared Stidham, he didn't look like anything special in the win against the Chargers. But with this benching of Russell Wilson, they could be facing some legal action from the NFL and the Players Association because they threatened Russell Wilson after they beat the Kansas City Chiefs a month ago that if he didn't redo his injury guarantee, he was going to lose his starting job. And the New York Post or the Washington Post, excuse me, they reported that the NFL Players Association told the Denver Broncos in an early November letter that the team's threat to bench quarterback Russell Wilson if he did not agree to adjust his contract was illegal and violated his collective bargaining agreement with the NFL. Now, what this letter entailed was that this is from a console to the NFL's Player Association, NFLPA, and Russell Wilson. It has come to our attention that the Denver Broncos recently informed Mr. Wilson and certified contract advisor that if Mr. Wilson would not renegotiate his player contract to relinquish certain salary guarantees, the Broncos will remove him from the starting lineup. If the Broncos follow through on this club's threat, the club will violate among other things, the collective bargaining agreement, Mr. Wilson's contract, and New York law. And we are particularly concerned that the Broncos are still intending to commit these violations under the guise of coaching decisions. Accordingly, we write to notify you that the NFLPA and Mr. Wilson reasonably anticipate arbitration or litigation against the Broncos and the management console triggering your respective obligations to preserve potentially relevant documents. So basically, the Denver Broncos, what they did, benching Russell Wilson due to them trying to threaten him, to redo his contract, was illegal. And they could face a lot of bad ramifications because of it, and they deserve this. Now, I agree that Russell Wilson should have been benched. Okay, like you want to see what Jared Stidham has, if anything, he hasn't really been that great. Fuck what the stats say. But the reasoning for him being benched wasn't really due to his play on the field. It was due to financial reasons. And the Denver Broncos, they followed through with their threat that they made to him after that Kansas City Chiefs game. And they're going to be facing legal action. We don't know what the penalty is going to be. Maybe they lose their first round pick, which is going to be a big blow to them because they don't have really a lot of draft capital anyway. And with the way that their roster looks, they possibly could have used that draft pick to trade for other assets and to continue to build that team up. And not just is this going to potentially result in them maybe losing a draft pick, but you know there may be some fines and it's also going to hurt their ability to get free agents. Because if I'm a player and I'm a star wide receiver or cornerback, why the hell would I want to go play for an organization that's going to bench me if I'm struggling and all of a sudden they want me to redo my contract because I'm not playing well? Like, you can say what you want about Denver's decision to bench Russell Wilson when it comes to his play, but one thing that you can't deny is that this decision was really cutthroat. You should never bench a dude because of his contract. You don't want him to get injured. That's kind of a little bit morally unjust. You see, if this decision didn't come down to Denver trying to force Russell Wilson to redo his contract and it was just solely based on his play on the field, I would be okay with it. But when you try to blackmail somebody, their job, 
and their starting status because you want them to redo their contract, that's fucked up. That's not what football is about. It's a business, but at the same time, you have to be able to operate within certain moral guidelines. And at the same time, it's not Russell Wilson's, you know, job to help you out and redo his contract. You're the one who paid him. If I'm Russell Wilson, I would have stood 10 toes down like him and I wouldn't have redid my contract. What you mean? Like, I ain't giving up any bit of this money. You're going to keep on paying me these checks and you're going to keep backing up that Brinks truck to my front door every single week because you're the one who gave me this contract. I didn't come up with this contract. I didn't force y'all to sign me. Y'all gave me this money. And now that I'm not playing that well, you want me to relinquish it? Now, of course, from the Broncos standpoint, which doesn't make any sense, you know, you come up to him, you say you're not playing well. Help us out, bro. Take a pay cut. If you're Russell Wilson, you're saying, fuck that, man. Get out of my face. I ain't taking no pay cut. I'm taking every single penny y'all give me, and y'all going to have to bench me if that's the case, and I'm still going to be collecting checks. Like, the Broncos look foolish in this situation, bitching the dude all because they threatened him, thinking that... Them forcing him to take a pay cut was going to just fly with the Players Association. That's not how this thing works. There are rules and regulations that you have to follow. And what the Broncos did was not right. And people are making Sean Payton not to be the enemy in this situation. I don't believe Sean Payton was the dude who came up to Russell Wilson. It's like, hey, bro, you need to take the pay cut. Because Sean Payton isn't the general manager. If anything, it was the people on the higher-ups above Sean Payton who probably approached Russell Wilson with this decision. Now, of course, Sean Payton may have had a little bit of say in the matter. We know that Sean Payton doesn't like Russell Wilson, and he wants to move on from this dude as quick as possible. So, of course, he was like, hey, bro, like, we might have to bench this dude, and the Broncos probably came to him, and it's like, hey, bro, like, redo your injury guarantees. Now, if he would have redid his injury guarantees, he probably would have remained the starter, which is why... This benching wasn't all about player performance. We get it that Russell Wilson hasn't played that great. But this benching wasn't based on performance like how Sean Payton and the Denver Brass tried to make it out to be. And we knew it was bullshit. Like, Russell Wilson hasn't been great, but he hasn't been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. And all those stats don't justify how great a player is. He's been serviceable for Denver. He gives Denver a better chance at winning games than what Jared Stidham is. They played the Chargers in their offense. They didn't even score 20 points against what has been one of the worst defenses in the National Football League. So I hope that the NFL and the NFLPA really dropped their hammer down on Denver for how they did Russell Wilson. Like I said, I don't disagree with the benching from a player performance standpoint, but I disagree with... The Denver Broncos, how they went about this benching him and trying to blackmail this dude to redo his contract all because you fucked up and you made a bad decision. This is Denver's fault that they're in this mess, not Russell Wilson entirely. Yeah, Russell Wilson hasn't played up to the level of his contract. This dude is the fifth highest paid quarterback in the NFL, and he's getting more money than Matthew Stafford, and he hasn't been anywhere as good as what Matthew Stafford has been, but it's not his fault. That he got this contract. Of course you're not going to turn down money. And you're definitely not going to give any money back. Somebody give you $2 million at your job. And you don't do a good job at it. And your boss comes at you and says. Hey you need to take a pay cut. Or we're just going to fire you. You're going to say bro just go ahead and fire me. Like you already don't pay me. I'm not finna give you no money back. Like why would I look giving money back. Trying to help you out. Especially this amount of money. $45 million. 
30 something million and guarantees? You crazy. Like, what was Denver thinking? Did Denver really think this was going to fly? Like, truthfully, they knew the rules. They, they knew what could have come from this. Like, this was an idiotic decision by an already idiotic franchise. Now, hiring Sean Payton was a good move. I still stand by that. There were people calling me a Sean Payton dick rider. Well, I'm not a dick rider. I'm just telling you the truth. Sean Payton has a winning record with every quarterback that he's coached. Not named Drew Brees. The dude went 9-8 his final season in NOLA with several different quarterbacks. Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston, and Trevor Simeon. So it's like Russell Wilson isn't playing that good, but you shouldn't bench dudes due to business. If you're going to bench somebody, bench somebody strictly due to the play on the field. Keep it within the lines. Keep it on the field. This was a business decision, and I don't agree with this. You see, like, I agree with benching Russell Wilson because he didn't play bad, but I disagree with benching him because your dude, you did it for financial reasons. And that's not right, and I hope the NFL gives the Broncos what the hell they deserve. The Carolina Panthers got their ass kicked today by the Jacksonville Jaguars. They got blowed out. They put a donut hole on the scoreboard. I know not too many people cared. Even a lot of you Panthers fans probably didn't care because you didn't even show up when they went to go play the Falcons game. But something interesting happened. So you know what they say? With money comes power. Well, when you got a lot of money like Panthers owner David Temper, it allows you to throw water on opposing teams' fans. So this is a video that I came across on social media of David Temper throwing water on the Jags fan. Look at this, throwing water on the Jags fan. And then you, you see how he just threw the cup down like, oh, like that was arrogance, him making that throw. Like this dude really threw water on the fan. This has to be one of the worst owners in the history of the NFL. He's a control freak. He doesn't allow his employees working under them to do his job without having his hands in the cookie jar. And then he's now mistreating fans at the games. Like, bro, David Temper should just sell the fucking team. This dude is an absolute clown. This is a this is the biggest jerk in the National Football League. Why would any player of the Carolina Panthers want to play for this dude? Not only does he not treat his employees well, but you're throwing water on fans, bro. What a punk move. And of course, you're a billionaire, so nobody can put their hands on you because if they do, you know what's going to happen. They're going to jail. Whoever was this fan who got this water thrown on them, I hope you press charges. And I hope that you get a lot of money out of this dude, man. This dude is an asshole. And I hate that I'm using so much profanity. I apologize for it, but let's just call it what it is. This dude is a big D-I-C-K. Like, you're throwing water on the fan. Like, let's look back at this thing again, man. Like, oh, it's glitching out again. But, I mean, this dude threw water on the fan. How disrespectful can you be? How are you going to disrespect people that come to watch your team play or come to watch a team that they're rooting for play? You're the owner, all right? You're supposed to make the environment as enjoying or you're supposed to make the environment for the fans in attendance. For them to be able to enjoy it as much as possible. And whoever was this Jags fan who got this water thrown on them. I'm pretty sure their day got ruined. When you got the owner of the Panthers throwing water on you. You can't support your team. Whether it be the Panthers or the Jags. And yeah you got the owner throwing water on you. And in this case it was a Jags fan. All this dude wanted to do was to support his team. Now if you're going to come and defend David Temper. You're going to say man JT like. He only threw war on the fan because he was harassing him. He was talking crap to him. Who cares, bro? What are you, a kid? You're an adult. 
You just can't throw a word on somebody because they say something that you don't like or they're heckling you. You're a billionaire, bro. You don't got security. How your security people come handle it? Huh? Come have your security. Take them out the game. You just don't throw a word on somebody. And then you saw the way that he threw the cup down. That boy said, and then walked away. Like, that's arrogance. And that's what comes with having a lot of money with a lot of people. When people get money, sometimes the money changes them. It either makes you better or it makes you worse. And in David Temper's case, I mean, this dude just looks like a complete a-hole throwing water on the fan. And this dude is always throwing temper tantrums every time I watch a Carolina Panthers game. Like, when they lost before they fired Frank Wright, he was like, F it. You feel me? It's just like, bro, I like an adult. I like an owner. This dude doesn't carry himself like an owner. He carries himself like he's a nine-year-old elementary student throwing temper tantrums. You're throwing water on fans. Like, what the hell is wrong with David Temper? Truthfully, why would any head coach that is like a Ben Johnson want to go come coach for an owner that's disrespecting fans and doesn't allow the coaches to be coaches, doesn't let his employees under him to do their job. It's like, this dude wants to just control everything. If you want to control everything, David Temper, just name yourself the next head coach and the new GM and just run the team yourself if that's the case. And if you're going to disrespect the fans like this, rather if it be Jags fans or your own fans, then you don't deserve to be an owner. Part of being an owner is that you have to, you have to relish the fans. You have to do not only what's in the best decision of you, but what's in the best decision of making sure that the fans are satisfied with the product of the team. Because the fans are the reason why you get paid. If fans don't buy tickets and merchandise, then how much money are you going to be able to get from the Panthers? Of course, you get a slice of money from the NFL television deal. But what about the other money that comes alongside of that? And why are people going to want to support a team that has a crappy owner? And when you got a crappy owner, most of the time you have a crappy team. And it's no wonder Bryce Young is pissed off on the sidelines, throwing the tablet down. Like, this team is, you know, epitome of what I like to call a circus. And the circus has been in town in Carolina ever since David Temper first took over ownership of this franchise. And at one point, the Panthers used to be a really good team. They may not have always been a Super Bowl contender every year, but they were always in the conversation to make it to the playoffs. Like, this franchise has went downhill, and it's gotten worse nearly every single year that David Temper has remained owner of this franchise. Like, I just wish this dude would sell the team, and I'm not even a, I'm not even a Panthers fan. Like, you got... You got fans not showing up the games. Like, I get you're playing the Falcons, and nobody wants to see Desmond Ritter at quarterback, and it was not great weather conditions. But I'm pretty sure the fans would have came and, and bundles if the team actually gave them something to root for. And when it comes to having a great team, it starts at the top with ownership. And the team is always going to embody the personality of its front office executives. If you have uh, a hole as an owner who doesn't allow their coaches to do their job and is a control freak, guess what you're going to get? You're going to have a bad team. When you got bad leadership, starting from the guy who owns the team, it's going to trickle down, not just from him, but it's going to trickle down to the coaches. It's going to trickle down to the team. And it's going to affect the overall performance of the franchise. And that's why the Panthers have gifted the Chicago Bears the best Christmas present ever, blessing them with the number one overall pick in next year's draft. This is what happens when you have dysfunctional leadership 
and you got your owner just throwing water on fans like what well, what an asshole move truthfully like what 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 the hell is wrong with this dude throwing water on the fan like he better be glad he ain't throwing no water on me because if he would have thrown some water on me I wouldn't have put my hands on him. I just would have gone ahead, pulled my phone out, called Morgan and Morgan or Farrah and Farrah, and I would have had a lawyer on the phone ASAP, and I would have told David Temper straight to his face after that, bro, I'm about to get a lot of money off you. Thank you. Not only did you bless the Chicago Bears with a number one overall pick, but you're about to bless me with a lump sum of money. So I hope whoever is that Jags fan that got that water thrown on them by David Temper, I hope they get a massive good payday. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. Remember that every episode of the podcast is available in audio format on all podcasting platforms. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, you can find the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys tuning in, and I will see you guys shortly with another episode.